0: That's our prayer, Lord. We want you to have your way in our lives. For God, our lives are only a gift from you anyway. And we just want to place them into your hands. God, we want, as we've been saying in this series, we want to be that bread that is blessed by you, that is met in our brokenness by you, and that is given by you for the sake of this world. Lord, would you have, our way, have your way in our hearts, in our minds, in our families, in our places of work, in all the things we do, God. May we be a people who is sold out for you, passionate for you, in love with you, that when others see us, they encounter you, God. We know that can only happen by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, so would you do it would you empower us in that way. God, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus holy name. Amen. You may be seated, friends. I want to welcome you to Anderson Hills. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're wrapping up this great series today. Blessed broken and given. And today we're talking about the fact that God wants to take our lives like bread in his hands and and give it to the world. Just like at the feeding of the 5,000, right? Jesus distributes the bread to those around. Just like at the table, Jesus gave bread to the disciples, right? Like Jesus wants to distribute us in ministry to all the world. Now, That's not just like a a spiritual concept, right? It's a very practical thing that we do as well. When we say, Jesus, I want to give my life to you, I want to be used by you, and we as a church do that. For over 200 years, God has been using the people of Anderson Hills, like bread in his hands, given to the world, not for our sake, but, but for his sake and for the sake of the world. So in just a moment, we're going to watch a little video clip that talks about this concept of being blessed, broken, and given. Stephen Hammond shares about how he experienced that through a ministry called Emmaus. Many of you have participated in it. If you haven't, I really encourage you to check it out. It is really worth your time. I did my walk 21 years ago. It was impactful in me discerning my call to ministry. I've seen it impact people's lives in many different ways. And as we watch this video, our ushers are going to come around with our serve cards. And this is something we're doing this morning. We've been talking about it out at the Red Tower for a few weeks now, but that, that we can be like this bread in Jesus' hands distributed to the world. And by signing up to serve is one of the ways we do this. So won't you check this out as the ushers distribute our cards?
1: I've been a Christian since I was in the third grade. And you know various levels back and forth through life but going to Emmaus I think really reconnected uh, my relationship with the Holy Spirit and uh, I think it did so for my wife as well and for her to experience that and us to have that together uh, I feel like through times in my life I realized that God was just always right there with me and Emmaus made me feel that presence again, and that he was always there and he is there every day. Being at Emmaus and in that environment and hearing and seeing how other people were broken and blessed by God and them pouring out made me revisit some, some things that I needed to take care of and to be able to go there and lay those things down and once again just feel the true full forgiveness of God, that you don't carry around that burden, that you leave your burden at the cross, that you don't have to carry that anymore. It's it's an uplifting experience, and it's something that you definitely want to share with other people. And now that I've been broken, and I feel that I can let God do what he wants with those pieces, I feel that um, he, he's blessed my life, and He's I, I see how he blesses others, and, and now that I can get by those things, I can see His purpose for me, and I can go out and I can give, whether that's shooting a video here or uh, doing other things in life. I feel like uh, I'm not hindered. The relationship is not hindered. My actions are not hindered. And uh, I I can go out and and find my talent and my purpose. I strongly encourage everybody to consider going to a Mass. There's something there for everybody, whether it's somebody who barely knows Jesus or knows about Jesus, Uh, pastors that have went. Uh, there, there's truly something there for everybody. And it's an awesome experience just to be there and to feel loved by people and then by God and to be, uh, to feel that forgiveness and the ability to, to take it and use it in your life. I strongly recommend uh, that everybody considers going to Mass. It, it can be a truly life-changing experience.
0: Amen. I strongly second uh, Stephen's recommendation there. If you haven't done it, it is very worthwhile and very impactful. Uh, Talk to me or one of the pastors. Go to our events page on the website. Talk to one of the many people around here who've gone on a walk to Emmaus. We'll tell you, it is worth the time. It's a powerful experience. Given. What does it mean to be given for the sake of the Lord to be used to help the world grow closer to him? Henry Nouwen, he says it this way. He says, Our lives are, he says, he says that it's sad to see that in our highly competitive and greedy world, we have lost touch with the joy of giving. We often live as if our happiness depended on having. But I don't know anyone who's really happy because of what he or she has. True joy, happiness, and inner peace come from giving ourselves to others. I like that. We can find some temporary happiness in having, in getting a new thing and going on the shopping spree or whatever it is. But that's temporary, you know? Pretty soon the new thing becomes the old thing. And if that's your way of finding happiness, then you gotta get some more new things. And not just that, you got to get some better new things, right? Because you're not just satisfied with the old level of new things. Now it's got to be a, a better level of new things. And it becomes a vicious cycle. It It becomes hollow and empty. Uh, The movie uh, Groundhog Day, I enjoy that. Anybody else here like the movie Groundhog Day? Yep, there's all the middle-aged and up people, right? Exactly. So, I know if I keep doing that, people will stop raising their hand, right? I should think about that. Regardless, Bill Murray... He plays Phil Connors, who's this cynical TV weatherman, right? And he's there February 2nd, Groundhog Day, for the big celebration. And he ends up getting stuck in this time loop where he keeps living Groundhog Day over and over and over of course, at first, this frustrates him. Then he changes his mindset a little bit, and he begins to use it to his advantage, right? To do the things he's always wanted to do, shouldn't really do, but but does anyways, right? So he's he's binge eating, he's doing all this stuff, right? And then, eventually, that becomes unfulfilling as well. Because when you're just living for yourself, when you're just living for the moment, eventually it gets old. It gets less meaningful than what you once thought that it was. He becomes depressed, even attempts to take his own life. But eventually things change when he begins to focus on Rita, a benevolent co-worker who he eventually falls in love with, and she helps him to to begin to see this differently, that instead of seeing this repetition as something to be taken advantage of for his good, Maybe he could take his knowledge of the day and use it for the good of the world. So he's able to, to save a life. He's able to uh, learn to do a variety of things from playing the piano to ice sculpture to learning French. You know, all sorts of different things. But he begins to use, begins to use this for good. And ultimately, he gets out of this loop as he gives himself unselfishly to the world and to Rita. You see, our greatest fulfillment lies in being given to others. It's not just living for ourselves, that gets old pretty quickly. When we give our lives for the sake of others, we get pulled out of the mundane, the boring, the average of everyday life, and we live for something that is beyond ourselves, something that is more meaningful, something that has more purpose something that we can find more passion and excitement in. That's why we do this rally to serve. That's why you've got these cards here. You can check them out, fill them out in this service. You can do your homework here. Nobody cares. That's fine. Uh, We're happy to have you do that because God uses us together as a church to serve Him, And I know so many of you, you're already doing that so much, and I just want to say thank you. Our church is what it is because God works through you. And maybe for others, you, you used to do this, but then COVID happened and kind of got out of all the normal habits, right? Maybe God's calling you back. And maybe for others, you're newer here and you're like, I don't know, well, this may be an opportunity to take a step forward in faith. I want to share with you a story about Jesus after he rose from the dead. The Gospel of John, it gives us uh, the account of three different times where Jesus appeared to his disciples. It doesn't mean those were the only times. Those are the ones that John chooses to highlight. And in the first one, it's on Easter Sunday that evening. Jesus comes into a room where the disciples are there and they're locked in, most of them. Thomas isn't there, but the disciples are there and he appears to them. Another time uh, Jesus appears to them with Thomas right to prove that he really is alive to meet Thomas in his plate, place of doubts. And the third time is the one that we're going to focus on today. And we tend to assume that when Jesus rose from the dead on Easter Sunday that instantly the disciples' lives were changed that they they got it right off the bat. We understand exactly what this means and, and we're so excited and we're just moving forward. The the reality is they didn't have the benefit of hindsight that we all have to be able to figure this all out. And so the resurrection was an awesome and exciting thing, but they would continue to live into the power of it, live into the fullness of it. For Peter, however, I wonder if the resurrection was kind of an awkward moment. Not that he was unhappy about it, don't get me wrong, but do you remember what Peter was doing the last time he saw Jesus? Jesus. That was the night when Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny me tonight. Three times, Peter says, no, everybody else might deny you, Lord, but you don't know who you're talking to. I will never, ever deny you. I would die for you. How could you say that? Just hours later, three different times, Peter will deny that he knows that man standing right over there. Jesus Christ. He's heartbroken. He runs away and he cries. And so now Jesus is risen from the dead and that is awesome news, but yet it's also relationally challenging for Peter because what does it mean? I mean, Judas, he betrayed Jesus and and he's dead. Peter denied Jesus Is Peter somehow dead to Jesus? Why would Jesus even want him back on the team? I mean, that's kind of the the ultimate failure here. is, Is Peter really even one of the disciples anymore? What's his future look like? Maybe Peter felt that he had lost it all that night. Maybe he was confused by what the resurrection really meant for him. Maybe he was so covered in shame that it just barely mattered. He was so embarrassed. Maybe he decided that he might as well just live a normal, quiet life. Go back to fishing. That's what he used to do, that's what he knows, that's how he earned his income. So there he went. The disciples are up in Galilee. One night they go out on the boat and they're fishing and they have something absolutely crazy happen to them. They fish all night long and they get zero fish. Now, the odds of that happening are, well, just about zero percent, right? Because they're pros. They're professional fishermen. They're, they're, these aren't like just some old-timers sitting here with their rod and reel and casting, and the worm fell off. They don't even know it, right? No, these are pros dragging big nets through the water, right? So you're going to get something. It may not be a great night, but you're going to get something, surely, right? Nope, not this night. They get totally shut out, right? And and this would never happen. Well, except for that one time when it did happen. About three years earlier, Peter and the boys, they had been fishing, and Once again, they they got shut out, no fish. So they're on the shore, they're folding up their nets, they're tired, they're mad, they're crabby, right? It's like you worked all day and you're not getting a paycheck, right? Sorry about your luck. And so Jesus comes and he starts teaching. All these people are coming, such big crowds. Jesus hops into Peter's own boat, pushes off from the shore a little bit so he can be heard, and he teaches. Once he's done, uh, Jesus approaches Peter and he says, Hey, how's it going? How's the fishing? Peter's like, well, we didn't catch anything. And Jesus says, well, why don't you get back in the boat, you go out, and this time you're going to drop your nets on the other side of the boat. Now, if you're Peter, I mean, these boats aren't that big, right? The difference in dropping your nets right here versus right here is not going to make a difference. The sun is out, the fish, they're going to go to sleep, right? They've had their, you know, their time to be caught. It's not time now, right? Peter knows all this. He's a pro, right? Jesus walks up to him. Jesus is just a preacher. After all, what do preachers know anyway? Not very much. Said by a preacher, right? We even know it. So here's Peter, and he's like, all right, fine, I'll do it. He goes out, other side of the boat. Boom, the nets are filled with fish. It's amazing, it's a miracle. And what does Peter do? He goes up to Jesus and he says, "Lord, go away. Get away from me for I am a sinful man. I I don't know who you think I am. I'm not the kind of guy who can be on your little mission here. I, I don't qualify. I I don't qualify." But Jesus wasn't having it. He said, Peter, you have been fishing for fish. It's time to leave those nets and boats behind. I'm going to make you a fisher of people. In other words, I'm going to use your life to be given for the world. I'm going to use you, Peter. Yes, in your frailties, in your messes up, messing up, in all these things, I'm going to use you to impact the world. That's the day that Peter was called by Jesus. It changed his life. So here we are three years later. Once again, we're shut out. We're fishing no fish caught that night. Peter and the boys are getting ready to pack it in. They're getting ready to bring the boats back in. And Peter uh, and, and Peter is frustrated, right? Peter's frustrated by this. And they see, I'm, I'm imagining the sun just coming up about this time, I'm not sure, but there, there's this, this guy on the shore, they can't see him real well, right? And, and the guy calls out from, from the shore, John 21:5. friends, haven't you got any fish? Peter says, nope, nothing, all night long. Can you believe it? We worked our tails off out here. I guess that's what you get when you go three years of fishing for people instead of fishing for fish, right? Nothing. And then he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now, the Bible just has a real matter-of-fact way of telling things. But I'm pretty sure that Peter looks at John and he goes, you've got to be kidding me. It, it's him again, right? He, he doesn't even get new jokes here, right? You know, Sure enough, other side of the boat, boom, nets are full again. Peter knows who it is. John knows who it is. They've seen this miracle before. Peter is so excited, in fact. He gets out of the boat. He jumps in the water and swims to the shore with Jesus. He leaves the bursting nets in the boat for the other ones. Thanks, Peter. And he's so excited to go and see Jesus because he knows what's happening here. Maybe you know what it's like to be Peter. Was there a time for you when you gave your life to Jesus and he came into your heart and he changed you and he saved you, and you were so excited. You were filled with joy. You were filled with energy about this. You just, you knew that he was calling you as, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to trust you. I want to be led by you. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll be who you want me to be. I'll give it all for you. Whatever it takes, Jesus, I'm in. I'm in. But then it happened. The unanswered prayer the diagnosis, the mistake you thought you'd never make, the failure, the hurt, the adultery, the abuse, the lost job, the crisis, the broken relationship. Or maybe you just kind of slowly drifted into apathy. You got to the place where you said, whether audibly or not you said i don't know if this faith stuff's all it's cracked up to be maybe for others maybe for the super spiritual out there but that's not me who who am i kidding that was just a little phase in my life it's it's done now i just i got to get back to fishing i got to get back to the stuff i know i don't know about all this walking in the holy spirit's power i'm just going to I just want to walk in the stuff I know, do the stuff I can do. And we give up. We give up. We give up on that call that God has upon our life. We give up on that opportunity to be given to the world. We settle, you know? But here's the thing, friend. If that's you... I want you to know that there is hope. There's hope for you today. Why? I know that there is hope for you today because you may have given up on Jesus, but Jesus hasn't given up on you. I believe that with all my heart. Would you say that with me? You may have given up on Jesus, but Jesus hasn't given up on you. Now try it again. You may have given up on Jesus, but Jesus hasn't given up on you. I believe that. Whether you're in this room, whether you're watching us online, whatever it may be, Jesus has not given up on you, my friend. He's not given up on you. He loves you, He cares about you. How do I know this? Because He didn't give up on Peter, right? Jesus showed up at the lake again. Peter was back to his old job. Jesus goes and he finds him. And not only does he find him, he reenacts this story of his calling, right? This is all intentional to show Peter, you're still chosen. You're still called. I'm still God. I'm still bringing in the fish. You're still working for me. I still want to give you, to give you for the world. So Jesus approaches Peter, or sorry, Peter approaches Jesus, swims up to the shore. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. And I love this. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. Ah, deja vu. Here he is again. Remember when we were on that mountainside, just just over there up from the lake a little ways. 5,000 people were around that day and they were hungry. Jesus takes the bread. He takes the fish, blesses, breaks, and gives it. He's doing it again with us today. We remember just a few nights ago when he gathered with us at the table. He took the bread. He blessed it. Broke it, symbolic of how he was to be broken, and gave it for us. And here once again, we sit with him. He blesses the bread. He breaks it, meaning he meets us in our brokenness. So that we can be given. So that we can be given. To the world. Verse 15. When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? In other words, am I your number one? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said it to him Simon, son of John, do you love me? He just had to go there, didn't he? Three times. And the fact is, he does have to go there. Because God is love. And you see, when you love somebody and they're broken, you don't just leave them in brokenness. That's not love. Jesus doesn't just leave us in our place of brokenness He meets us there, and he goes there. He deals with it. Remember when he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Neither do I accuse you. Therefore, go and sin no more. It's not a matter of ignoring our brokenness. No, Jesus goes there. He wants to deal with our brokenness because he wants to heal us. You see, we try to push our brokenness down. We're ashamed. We're embarrassed. We don't want to talk about it. Jesus goes there because he's the healer. He doesn't go there to hurt us, he goes there to heal us. And my friend, that's exactly what he wants to do in your life. Jesus has not given up on you. You may have given up on Jesus. You may have walked away countless times. Everybody else may have given up on you, but Jesus has not, and he will not. He never does. He promises he'll never leave us. He'll never abandon us. He'll never give up on us. His calling doesn't end. We may take some time off, but his calling doesn't go away. That's how good our God is. That's how faithful our God is. He loves us with that kind of love. And to us today, Jesus asks, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. For the person who's gone off into sin and has just given up this idea that Jesus could somehow be Lord. Jesus says, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. For the one who's just gotten discouraged and full of apathy and just just kind of phoning it in in life in general, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And for the one who's hurting, broken, Do you love me? Feed my sheep. I want to heal you. I want to use you. I want for you to be given in ministry for the world. And that's how God does it, you see. God doesn't look for perfect people. He doesn't look for flawless resumes because none of us have it. You look at every single one of the disciples, especially Peter, there's a whole lot of flaws there in that resume. And yet, Jesus chooses to, to use him. It was a great choice. For Peter is going to be one of the biggest leaders of the church. He's going to be the leader of the church there in Jerusalem. He's going to be one of the most respected uh, voices among the Jews. He's going to be one that God is going to use to draw so many people to himself. Peter's not going to have it easy, though. He's going to have a life of persecution. Yeah, there'll be high points like Pentecost where he preaches and 3,000 people come in. But there's going to be tough days, too. And where it ultimately led to? Church tradition tells us that Peter was ultimately arrested as an old man. Arrested because he wouldn't shut up about Jesus. They condemned him to death, death on a cross. And the church tradition says that when Peter arrived at that cross that day, he said, I am unworthy to die as my Lord died. So crucify me upside down. And that's what they did. Peter, he didn't always get it right, but Jesus brought him back. And you and me, we don't always get it right either, but Jesus keeps bringing us back. And he uses us for the sake of the world.